Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you are listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast where we connect the dots for women's storytellers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And I'm so excited, one, that this is our last episode for the season. I went and looked back and I've done about 25 episodes this year. So I'm really geeked uh, that I was able to sit down with 25 women who are filmmakers, whether they were um, the director, the screenwriter, the producer, the cinematographer, we have really covered it all. And last week we actually sat down with the entertainment attorney. So we've really given you no reason to make an excuse why you can't go out here in these streets and make the film that's in your heart. So today I'm happy because I get to close out my last interview of the season with somebody I'm super interested in talking to. I have been following her for a while and her name is Latasha Kennedy and I'm going to bring her on now. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. I um, am so glad that you reached out to me because you were on my bucket list to interview. So. Oh, that's so touching. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So I always like to ask people uh, because, you know, it's somewhat taboo for women to be filmmakers, but we're trying to dispel that myth right now. But exactly. how did you get started? Like, what was the defining moment for you that said, hey, I really want to tell stories. I want to be a filmmaker. Wow. Okay. So It really started for me actually in college and maybe a little sooner than that because I really found my voice um, or started to sort of explore the creative arts at a very young age. And it was actually in it with my mother's interest in me just sort of breaking out of my shell because I was just so shy. And so I wouldn't talk to anybody. And so she used that as a vehicle to try to just get me to be more responsive and interactive. Nobody really expected that the bug would bite me, you know, in the way Mm -hmm. that it did. So I actually, when I went to college, you know, I sort of learned a lot about all of the various components of, of a production. So even though I was a performance I had a performance concentration. Um, They still required me to understand what the technical director did, what the writer did, what the ASM did. And so having to glean all of that knowledge from so many different areas of, um, of, at that time, theater, um, it really sort of created a desire in me to want to be able to sort of lead in my own way as a re, as it uh, related to being a storyteller. And I always sort of had the interest and the desire to gather knowledge and then come back um, to the DC area to be able to share that knowledge with other young people um, because I really am sort of a product of my community. And I had so many mentors and so many people who really invested in me over the course of my academic career. And whenever, you know, when I was in college, I would come back and I would teach. And when I graduated from college, I came back to D.C. for four years to teach and to um, work with inner city kids. And I also used the arts as an opportunity to help young people, particularly in the college age uh, range to be able to articulate what they were going through, certain pains that they were having. Um, And we talked about everything from domestic abuse to drug use to um, things that were going on at home, back at home. And so I just just really used uh, art as a way, as a a young person, to be able to connect um, to my community and to my peers. So I like the point that you said that, you know, you gathered these skills, uh, you didn't just keep it to yourself and you went back and you actually like wanted to pour back into other people. Is that something that was just always instilled in you? Or was that something that you gradually realized like, Hey, I also want to educate people. 
Right. Well, I think I've just always been like that. I was the kid who, um, you know, would go to parents uh, at the rec center. And if I realized their kid couldn't read that well, I would volunteer to tutor. Or, you know, if like a kid really was struggling with any area of school, I just, I was like, I know how to do it. I'll help, you know? And so I've, I was always sort of that way. And so when I went away to school and I came back to the, uh, to the, to home, um, to spend time with my mom during the summer, I would volunteer. Well, I would actually, they hired me at that point to work and write and create big programs for the end of the summer for the students and their, and their parents in the community. So, yeah, I just, I always thought it was necessary, particularly because I, like I said, so many people were involved in my rearing and were so involved in giving me opportunities to do things and get beyond my four blocks, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Southeast. So then how did you pivot from, okay, acquiring the skill, then wanting Mm -hmm. to educate people to now you where you're a producer, you're a writer, you're a director, you in these streets, like you getting it done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure. So, I mean, I really spent a lot of time just um, mastering very specific skills over uh, a specific amount of time. So my sort of concentration was always acting. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of poured myself into that. So I acted, you know, whether I was the back person in the background not doing much <laughs> or whether I had like, you know, I was the lead. It for me it didn't matter. I, you know, part of my training was there's no uh small roles, mm-hmm. you know, and every every role um has a, a part to play in, in in the story. So I was able to um to sort of be a sponge if I was on set and it wasn't about me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was always sort of paying attention to the other players and what other people were doing to make this, situ- this situation, this film, this, you know, this play sort of come to fruition. And um, even though my primary focus at the time was acting. And I think you know, over the course of time, I just realized, like, I, there are some things I really want to say. And there are some stories that are really important to me to tell. And I really wanted to develop, I wanted to build my own company, where I have, you know, team that I'm able to sit with and write with and create with. And so I realized that I was gonna have to take a little bit of a pivot Mm-hmm. If I wanted to master that as much as I wanted to master acting. Mm. So I took time to specifically um, focus only on writing. Okay. And so I stopped going to acting classes. Um, I stopped auditioning. Um, and I only focused on uh, going to writing classes. And I took, I went to writing classes consistently for two years. And um, it was just a process of, you know, my writing coaches just, you know, being like, nope, that's not it. This is it, <laughs> you know, and really helping me understand how to create um, a compelling story. And and in that process is when I realized like, okay, you know, so now that I, I have a script, let me produce it. And so I started, I developed a philosophy where I write to produce, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of stuff that's just tucked away. If I write it, I want to produce it. And if it's not as good as it could be, I want to find people that help me make it better. So I think just exposing myself to other, to other people who I think are brilliant at what they do, being okay, not being the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. um, all of those things have really helped me to develop into an artist and a producer um, that I think can really add value uh, wherever I go. Okay, so I know you have now pivoted. You spent time to really like hone in on your writing craft. And then you said, hey, Mm -hmm. I want to produce this. So this is where a lot of women get stuck. It's like, okay, Okay. I've written this. So what do I do then next? Because 
how did you, well, take us through the process. How did you find your team? Because you Mm -hmm. might have a little edge over people who don't necessarily know all the moving parts of filmmaking. Right. But yeah, what did you do next to not basically stand in your way? Because we all can say we have written a a script and then we just, it's Mm -hmm. just sitting there. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think before anything, you know, you have to first start with yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and you have to really start from the inside out um, in terms of like, what's your why? Like, why is this important to produce? Why does it matter to you? It might not be like, you know, not everything we produce or that we write is like going to change the world, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It just might be entertaining. It might be funny. It might be interesting to you. But you really have to connect to that piece and believe in it because the process of gathering a team, you are the leader. So if you don't believe in it and if you don't believe in your work and in yourself, it's going to be really hard to lead this team down the road, right? Right. So I think starting with you is, you know, is, is most important. Then once you get past, like, yo, girl, come on, sis, you know, we can right. do this. Let's do it. Then it becomes a part of, it becomes a matter, rather, of determining uh, budget, you know, how much money, how much, how many, how much resources do you have to allocate to this particular project? Mm-hmm. And so um, to go back to, you know, when I was saying, like, I spent a primary amount of time focusing on one thing, it's because we only have so much resources, mm-hmm. right? So we can't uh, um, divide our resources so much to the point that now for the thing that we want to do the most, now we don't we don't really have what we need to be able to do it. Right. And certainly there's ways to like get other people to get involved, right? Um, when you can get a buy-in and that, 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 that can be scary for a lot of people because you have to be able to share your vision and you have to be able to share with people why why it should matter to them right Mm -hmm. so much so that they're willing to write a check Mm -hmm. um and so sometimes you're spending your own money and sometimes you're spending other people's money but nine times out of ten people want to know have you at least spent your money on something Right. Right. Or to what degree with this particular project have you invested your own cash? So you have to have some, you don't have to have a lot, you know, but you have to have a little bit of something to be able to at least jumpstart your process. And I mean, the easiest version is really having a tribe, you know, and that's where um, being able to share value with other people. If you don't have something, going on right now, you know, go to your friend's set, you know, volunteer for a friend. I've done casting for my friends. I've produced other things for my friends, just in the interest of building my tribe, right? Mm -hmm. So then when it's my turn, I turn back to those same people and say, hey, you know, can I get you to, you know, direct? Can I get you to, you know, do the sound? And it's really, it's really been the process of, reaching out to people for what they can do for you, right? But also being a part of their process and their journey um, and and exchanging values. So because sometimes you don't have all the money to be able to share. So one of my first projects, I I didn't, I had such a small budget um, and a lot of people on set were working for me for free, Mm -hmm. but they showed up in the most professional way we, you know, it was a very family oriented set. I paid for people's travel here and there, you know, but I did, I, I was straight up. I was just like, I don't, I don't have, you know, like a big budget for this particular project, but I want it to be great. And I think you would, you play a great part in that. And I was able to get the buy-in. So I think if you understand your resources, whether you have a little or you have a lot, you know, you start, you start where you are. You don't have to, you know, continuously put things off because you feel like you need a thousand more dollars, right? Because right. Of the, the technology that we have at our disposal right now makes it so that, you know, we can use our uh, uh, phone or uh, um, we can borrow cameras from our, you know, 
we have we have everything that we need right within us so i tend to look at what i already have in my hand and use what i have in my hand um and then oftentimes when i reach out to others they bring more resources to me so a lot of people who are currently on my team are people that have been introduced to me from other people who believe in my work and believe in my vision. And so once you have your, so I think, I hope that answers the question in terms of how to gather a team. I think it's an easy, succinct answer is add value to other people's projects and other people's lives in general. And then when it's your turn, be be willing to be um, transparent about what you need um, and how people are adding value and can add value to yours. And I think setting a timeline, a deadline, mm-hmm. um, there's, no, there's no better way to get off track than to not have a deadline. Absolutely. And so you, you have to communicate that to your team and um, be willing to stay up late or get up early so that you can meet whatever deadline that you set. I find that, um, you know, being able to deal with pressure or things, you know, when the you know, things just kind of fall apart sometimes. You're, you're looking like, what is happening? I mean, it happens. That's not always an indication that you shouldn't be doing it, right? So people right. are like, oh, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. No, boo. It, you're having a bad day, mm-hmm. you know? So go find someone who is who has some expertise in this area and can help you know, add, add, uh, help you create a, a solution for this so that you can get over this hump and get to the next step. Yeah. Um, so, um, so those are the things that, or those are, that's sort of my process in terms of uh, producing. I really see it as the producer is, is the leader. And so um, I do everything I can to try to keep my head on straight and be mindful of what I have in my hand and what we have at our disposal. And then I reach out to others to ask them, you know, what, in what ways can they add to, um, to the, to the project that we're doing. And I mean, I think that's a very good point of saying, you know, like adding value because I know just in the social media age, I think that sometimes we have a Mm. false re not reality yeah false reality of relationships so people think because if they follow you you are now in relationship with them so (laughs) we are not saying i'm gonna say for us we are not saying jump in somebody's dms and just say uh i need your help (laughs) right no that's not what i'm saying no (laughs) at all i mean but the thing is what's interesting the reason i laugh at that comment is because there are people who I interact with so much on social media. I've never seen them like in person, mm-hmm. but I feel like I know them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And people, there's a lot of people who feel like they know me. There are people mm-hmm. in the produce section who feel like they know me. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While picking out like cucumbers. Right. But the truth is, is that you, is that we don't know each other and that there still has to be a level of professionalism that's honored. Right. Um, I think in all relationships, you know, I just got a new client for a project and I've known, I've known her. We haven't like really uh, seen each other or been to each other's birthday parties and stuff like that over the years. But we um, had a call and we kept it so professional, you know, going line by line over the contract, the, the budget, you know, the scope all of that and then once we lock that in mm-hmm. then we got all girly with it you know right, right. Then we're like kicking and screaming and just getting to you know really enjoying uh each other over the phone because all the hard stuff was out of the way right you know so yeah i think you have to build relationship i think it's important even though you can slide into someone's dm i mm-hmm. think it's it's a nice touch that reach out to someone via their professional email address, right. you know, um, 
And if I have a question, you know, and about something that a promotion or something that someone is doing um, that they're promoting on uh, on on social media, I'll definitely ask a, a quick question in their DM. But if I want to make a formal introduction, I mean, I'm going to your website, right. you know, I'm doing all the things I'm treating you like, you know, I would any professional relationship, you know. So um, I just think that's important. I think uh, professional etiquette, it, it doesn't get lost. And I think now it actually stands out more Yes. Um, because so many people don't do it. Yes. You're like, oh, look at you over there being professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about yeah. your project. Well, one of your projects, okay. because I do have a question about another one, but let's start with okay. one last goodbye first. Yeah. The trailer for it. Yeah. Yep. We, the, we released a couple trailers. Yeah. I had all the feels behind it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so. I love in, that. I love that. I was so invested in that. It was one, y'all, y'all have to go look at it. It's on um, her Instagram. But it was so good. One, I'm already invested because you might not know, but for some of the listeners that do listen often, my undergrad is in counseling. So I'm already invested. But then um, went and I looked at like your explanation for why you decided. Oh, the pit. Yeah, I was like, listen, I was in, the, I was in my <laughs> office and I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is why I like You had that moment? That's awesome. <laughs> I really was because let me tell you, and then everybody, I'm going to get her because I know y'all probably are like, tell us what's it about. Okay. But you're <laughs> right, right. This is why I love storytelling. And this is why sometimes I do get frustrated with us as storytellers because the whole point of us being able to tell a story is from our perspective. So our perspective should not look like everybody else's. Like, for example, Mm. I don't know if you saw that, um, oh gosh, what's the movie? They're doing a reboot. I think it's Matilda, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So they're doing a reboot of Matilda, but they're doing a, and I'm no shade because I know I'm a brown girl, but they're doing (laughs) a Matilda brown girl version. No, like, why can't we come up with our own idea? Like, it just frustrates me a little bit. So when when I saw your perspective and then like, why I was like, yes, I have not seen this. Like, it makes me want to go see it tomorrow. Yay. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yes. You have to tell everybody what it's about, and then you can explain. Okay, for sure, for sure. Explain so, why. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I will. I will tell all the things. I'll tell <laughs> all the things. So, <laughs> so um, one last goodbye is actually a story that explores the impact that suicide has on families left behind. And so I, um, I had a mentor um, slash coach and uh, she committed suicide or I should rather say she died by suicide. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, probably like two years ago. And, um, and she was super instrumental. I had known her for several years and I had gotten back in touch with her um, because I wanted to go back to commercials. And um, and I was like, you know, like, what do you think? And she was like, you're cute, but you're edgy. Like, you got to take that blonde out your hair. And, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you got to go back to middle America, boo. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. But she sent me to my photographer. She did my comp card. She did the whole thing. I got a new agent. And before I could even tell her, she had already passed away. Wow. Um, and so... I, yeah, it was, yeah, I was devastated, um, I guess, as anybody would be, but I was, I, I couldn't really think about myself. I thought so much about her husband, mm-hmm. and I was so um, hurt for him because I couldn't imagine what kind of pain he must be in, and 
um, and to have lived this life with someone who you loved, who was the apple of your eye, you know, and, and, and left in such a way that leaves you powerless, mm-hmm. right? Um, because, and even in my research about um, families that are dealing uh, with this particular matter, you know, they talk about how the rage mm-hmm. or, or rather the grief is 10 times worse because they had no say, they had no way to prepare. Mm-hmm. It just happened, you know, and not that it just happened that there were no signs or you never knew that the person could be, you know, struggling with any sort of mental health issue, but that I didn't know today was your last day. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I, so there was that. And then there was also this, at that time, it was this budding conversation about mental health in the African-American community. And I felt like, oh, man, this is great. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. But, we're all, but there's an aspect of this conversation that we're leaving out. And that is the families that are impacted by the trauma, mm-hmm. right? So if I, if I have a loved one who has died by suicide or has... Uh, you know, clinical depression mm-hmm. or an anxiety disorder, right? There's mm-hmm. a particular level of trauma or, that I also have to sort of deal with as I continue to love this person through that journey, right? Um, and so I felt like we need to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. We need to turn our eye to the people who are also in pain because the, after we go to the repast of the right. deceased, That's I it. mean, we pat that person on the back, we give them a hug, we tell them, call me if you need me. Mm-hmm. That I can assure you that person's never going to call you, right? Right. Um, and so if you don't stay in touch, if you don't constantly, um, you know, seek to be helpful, which also is very challenging, to try to be helpful to someone who is dealing with that much grief or trauma, um, you know, that person will probably, you know, waste away, you know, like support is definitely needed. And so I just wanted to really add to that part of the conversation. Um, And so I wrote it from the perspective of an African-American man um, who lost his wife um, by suicide. And I did that because, one, we never really see, you know, the vulnerability of our guys, of our men, right? And um, I wanted to see, I wanted to display to everyone how beautiful, how vulnerable, how strong, even in their pain, our men can be, Uh right? And I also wanted to shed light on the Black family, um, because we are powerful, you know, we have a way of really coming to each other's, you know, rescue in a way that I think is really beautiful. And it's not that non-Black families don't, right. <laughs> it's that I come from a Black family, right. so I write about what I know, right? Um, and even in there, it's also, you know, dealing with the the strong woman complex mm-hmm. um, and dealing with black love um, because he wouldn't be hurting so much if he wasn't so in love, you know? And one of the other overarching uh, themes in the film is actually about our finances um, because we, we are culture, you know, we, um, we have so much power so much buying power but at the same time we don't always do the best job at um in uh uh, securing our assets so a lot of us have had to start over because those who came before us didn't have the health insurance or uh, rather the life insurance Right. And then there's a clause in like in a life insurance policy that will, you know, cause your life insurance to be uh, null and void Mm -hmm. if you take your own life. Right. So there's all these conversations. And I really um, wanted to just kind of like 
just remove the veil <laughs> and have these sort of conversations. And, you know, art has always sort of been like the great bridge, you know, to having conversations that can be impactful and life changing. I agree. And I definitely, I just, I'm just a fan of, of different perspectives. And I think that's yeah. why I initially really was drawn into uh, storytelling because initially I started writing books. Yeah. And then it was like, no, you know, I wanted to, to be in media. And it was because mm. I felt like my voice was missing and I represented a lot of yes. strong Black women who were out here, like, wearing this whole, like, cape and carrying everybody, but we really, like, yes. we fragile inside. So I'm really glad yes. you, like, decided to, to, like, show that perspective because, listen, y'all, that I don't even know if it's thirty sec. Is it thirty seconds or is it more? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so short. One is but, thirty, and I think another one might be even shorter than that. No, y'all don't understand. First of all, I <laughs> love trailers. Like I do, I get hype about them. But when I tell y'all, like y'all know, I do. Listen, I don't even do the whole like. Yo, I'm so geek right now. <laughs> I don't even do the fake pumping. Y'all know I'm what, like, I'm either black or white. But I tell you, I, I literally watched the trailer, like, I think, like, five times. Seriously? Yeah. Because yeah, it was so intense. So, like, I kind of got up. Yeah. Like, I got caught up in just how intense it was the first time. So then I was like, okay, yeah. now let me watch this as a filmmaker. So I said, okay, let me go back <laughs> and look at it. So I went back yeah. and looked at it, and then I just like noticed the small things. First of all, whoever your cinematographer was was popping. Okay. Yeah, Jerry Aquino. I love that dude. Yes. Listen, yeah. Yeah. Tell him I said he did. <laughs> he did that because when he listen, y'all have to watch it. Like it's not the whole. It's just the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> like I like I got the inside scoop. No, I haven't seen it either yet. But when he pans up like to the picture. I just felt like I knew them. Like I felt like that was those yeah. are my friends. And we used to go hang out for dinner. And now his whole life yeah. is, like jacked up. Yeah, man. It yeah, was, I mean. It was good. And and what, what made that process so special was because every single person who worked on that project was just an amazing individual and super brilliant at what they did. And um and I have a no nasty person on set rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I can't say it the way I say it, you know. <laughs> right. But um, I, 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 I don't do nasty, right? right? And it's particularly with this uh, type of uh, this type of material, and my act, and the, not my actor, but the actor in the in the film, um, Roderick. He he was so vulnerable, and he was willing to go all the way there so many times. So I really, and that was just in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, it was important to me to surround us with just really beautiful and amazing people. And that's what we were able to do. And um, the cinematographer, Jerry, was, I mean, he was he was one of the first people, aside from my producers, who came on um, to the film. And he, you know, sort of embraced the story even as his own, you know, baby, too. So it it was it was really powerful and it was really beautiful to make the film with the 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 people that I made it with mm-hmm. and um yeah and I I really cannot wait for y'all to see the film because <laughs> I I want to see it I'm excited <laughs> and those, so I'm eager to share eager really good and I also appreciate you. that you also like sharing their love because like when you were talking about it. It just, even though, don't get me wrong, it is, like, a very heavy and, like, sad topic. Yeah. I just didn't feel, like, heaviness, like, oh, gosh, I don't want to see it. I felt like... Wow, nice. I felt like, wow, you know, like, this is somebody he really loved, and, like, how is he going to get through this? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and I think that um, it's just really important to to show all of the various aspects of love, even love lost. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was I've written it so many different ways, mm-hmm. and um, and I just remember one of during when I had uh, my husband actually reading one of my drafts when he was giving me feedback I was like you know what this is becoming more about her and this isn't about her this is about him Mm -hmm. you know this is really about his love his pain and his you know um unwillingness really to move forward so yeah I think you know really because you know black men get such a bad rap you know when it comes to love but black men they are they're they're beautiful human beings you know and I know plenty of men who are just like hands down in love with the women in their lives Mm -hmm. so um I don't think that it's fair to only you know depict them in one way they are beautiful people and I think that it's important to show that and important to show you know um love in a way that's aspirational you know, between just two average human beings, you know? Um, so, yeah. And I think that's... Okay, y'all, because, you know, I will keep talking about this, but <laughs> before I go to the next question. <laughs> but I think that's good. And what you just said made me think about... I think I was reading... Oh, who was it? Uh, yes, y'all, you know I'm going to look while I'm on my, uh, up here. I have to look on my phone or it's going to bother me. But um, when you said yeah, to average people who said that oh viola davis her article in mm. the guardian you have to okay. look at it and read like read it. it's a really long article but it's very good but she basically okay. said the same thing that you just said she said that okay she wanted to tell more stories about average people yeah because it's like we have extremes because don't get me wrong. Like you have me over here mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm about to go back and look at my web series. I was writing. Cause it just, it kind of like gave me that nudge of like, I miss writing, but mm. it's, we do extremes like, and don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love love stories. Like I could probably write love stories for the rest of my life and be happy. Girl. But, yeah. That's my Who thing. Who don't love a good love story? <laughs> But we write these like superhero save the day mm-hmm. lo- love stories when we don't just tell the everyday love story like with regular mm-hmm. people. That's why I miss like I-, I think I was talking to somebody up here before and even my girlfriends. That's why I miss like the Friday night lineup of TV that I used to watch because yeah. it was relatable because you were in the Mm -hmm. same like place as me you were not this like super and not to say because I mean maybe you are a business person but you were just the everyday person experiencing life and it's like I can connect to that and I'm invested yeah to watch it and you know what I do have hope because my favorite show does that for me um this is us they do it for me yeah and blackish I feel like it's yes. every day. I feel like you could be my neighbor, so I get it. Right, right, yeah. And and my my husband, um, we talk a lot about that. Actually, you know, in the sense that you know anything that he's sharing about what happened in his day, or something that happened with my day, or mm-hmm. something that happened with our kids. That's 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 just like that's just an average day. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's nothing really that black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> happening with me trying to get kids out the house on time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it might be my mannerisms the way I talk mm-hmm. you know or whatever that make that a cultural experience right right but essentially I'm just the average mom who wants my kids to show up to school on time right, right. there's nothing extraordinary about that but um you're right in that we don't we don't just get to see that you know, it's it's either hyped all the way up where mm-hmm. the woman is like so rich or it's like brought all the way down, 
to another extreme where she's yes. poor and yelling at the oh, children and gosh. you know or whatever so, but there is a middle ground it is. you know there is a middle ground and there's a lot of us that live there there's a lot of there's a lot to play with there and I think that as writers and as storytellers we do ourselves a disservice by doing what everybody else is doing or rather doing what's already out there I think that we do have to lend our ear to the public and to people, you know, and mm-hmm. and hear, really hear, like really listen to what other people are going through and engaging. And what do you find funny? And what makes you cry, right? Mm-hmm. And those are probably the best things you can write about um, because it means something to you. So you're going to be able to provide something meaningful in that because it resonates with you first. Absolutely. Listen, first of all, you're over here <laughs> gathering my whole little life because I'm just like listen, girl, I am I'm I want us all to win <laughs> <laughs> and to be living our best lives. That's that I mean yeah. let's do it. Yeah, because I mean I just really like that I I feel like I had this biggest aha moment because before I get on on mm-hmm. I always like pray and be mm-hmm. like God let this show be what you need it to be for whoever needs to hear it mm. and yeah I just really feel like I had a whole light bulb moment <laughs> what was your light bulb moment wait go back <laughs> I feel like that is what's missing and I feel like that is where women come into like I used to think that it was just mm-hmm. our perspective as a woman but see the difference yeah. from us and men and I don't I'm not trying to be funny, y'all. I was going to do a post about this, but my best friend be like, stop trying to be extra all your life. But I was going to do a (laughs) post about, like, I'm not a feminist. And I'm not saying I have anything against feminists because I get it, but I also don't get a lot. So I am, I believe I'm a person (laughs) who empowers women, period. That's it. I don't like, I don't know the stuff that y'all be doing. But um, it's just, made me look at what the thing is for us it's it's about our voice as women yes but the difference between us and men is because we pay attention to the everyday human connection in Mm -hmm. in a different way than men do yeah because like like you said about like you know your kids and like getting them together like we get that like even though I don't have kids yet like I have a nephew I know how it is when I have him and I got to tote him around and I'm like yeah I'm trying listen we're just trying to get out this house so it's just (laughs) I feel like I feel like that is where I really hope that women do become empowered and stop being trying to like emulate mm. other even other women like just tell your truth like just yeah tell your truth tell your experiences mm-hmm. because like there's there are people out there who have experienced that and they're going to relate to it and they're going to be nodding their head and mm. laughing like girl where you been all my life <laughs> yeah exactly and i think that like even when you're in your in your amongst your tribe and amongst your girlfriends and you're talking you know there's there's meat there you know yes. there's a quote that is that um that's very popular amongst writers that anything you say in my presence i might just use that you know right. <laughs> so so i mean whether my husband comes home and tells me stories. My kids tell stories. I have a story from the grocery store, whatever. I mean, for me, all of that is usable mm-hmm. because um, that's essentially, for me, what storytelling is. It's about being a mirror. Yes. And so I like to use my stories as an opportunity to hold a mirror to you and say, look, Mm-hmm. You know, look at how you behave. Look at this is what you did or this is how you respond to things. And here may be a suggestion or I might not provide a suggestion. I might just, you know, add an emotional bent to it or something mm-hmm. to make you laugh or something weird. But 
here, but here's the mirror, you know, and then somewhere in there, try to invoke my voice, which might be uh, something empowering or something educational or something inspiring. Because I feel like if I have your attention, I need to leave you with something, you know? And so yeah. when you leave my presence, you should leave better. So when you leave my films, if you leave a performance I do, it's not enough for me to, for you to be just clapping. No, I want to know, like, did it affect you? Did it impact you? What do you think about your life now? You know? And so um, for me, that goes back to the why, because being all of this is not easy. It's not even always fun sometimes. No, um, to be honest, (laughs) you know, like it's a lot and and managing it and my life is not my own, you know, I split it four ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's just, it's, if I don't have a why and if I don't, um, if for me it's not to educate and entertain or educate, uh, educate and entertain or rather inspire and entertain, like then I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to sustain, um, myself. Right. Because it's like you throw your hands up and you're like, why? For what? Why? Yeah. Why am I up? Why am I the first one up and the last one down? Why? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you have to be so connected to that. And you have and honestly, you have to be OK being a girl that just loves her sneakers, jeans and a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably won't find me in heels a lot. Cause I'm always chasing kids or running them to a basketball game <laughs> or something else. I, I, I don't do that in heels. So I'm okay with who I am. I like my glamor in a different way. And, um, and so when I tell stories, I tell stories in that way. I tell mm-hmm. stories for the, the young mom who's, trying to figure it out or for the family that's middle ground we're not poor we're not like rolling around in our, on our mattress and money either you know mm-hmm. but we're able to like really take care of ourselves and our family in a way that's meaningful and we're able to have meaningful experiences outside of our home and so we're happy so I'm going to tell you that story I'm going to share those stories with you um and so for those who aren't or for the rest of us who are our middle ground, like you said, it becomes relatable, it becomes empowering, and other young women feel like, oh, you know, like, I could do that, Yeah, you know, and that's, for, that's really the point of it all, yeah. is secession, you know? I totally agree. I didn't get us all the way on a tangent, so <laughs> I, I know, right? I'm going to move us on, because we both will still be talking about okay. this. Okay. <laughs> You're going to move us on to the next. I'm ready. I'm with you. Totally in step. Let's do it. So I, um, you, and y'all are going to have to go back and read her bio. You're going to have to connect with her because I'm so going to get through all the questions I had. But (laughs) one of the things that I saw that I thought was so, such a great, like just such a great idea. Like I'm a fan of great ideas, especially that benefit the creative community. So you have a new project and you are the co-founder yeah. of Location Locked. One, yes. tell everybody about that and then um, we'll go from there. Okay. So Location Lock is just really simply, um, it's a platform, a marketplace actually, to be able to enhance the experience of filmmakers um, when they're searching for locations and services for their projects. That was just such a good idea. So where are you all? No, really, like I was on, on the Twitter and I was just looking. I was like, this is such a good idea. So um, thank you. Where are you? Where are you located? Is it in what city? Yes. So technically right now we have locations on the site from that are based in D.C. and in New York City. OK. Um, but um one of the things that I'm open to is for people, you know, across the country who are filmmakers or creatives and or art enthusiasts to offer their services in their own local area. First, we said, let's just create a database, a Rolodex for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, if we had that problem, I'm sure a lot of other people are having that problem. Let me ask. <laughs> and so I asked peers 
you know, you know, what, what's complicated about getting a location. And it was a, a large consensus that affordability is huge, is a huge challenge. Um, and just using all these various platforms, things are sort of, you know, uh, everywhere, you know? Um, and so I sort of just wanted to create a, a, a hub and not just a hub, but a community um, where people can trust each other and can uh, count on one another to be able to offer and uh, supply services such as, you know, your makeup artist and your hairstylist. How many times, you know, are you texting like eight of your friends looking for a hairstylist or <laughs> some other service that you need rendered for your film? It's like, wouldn't it be great if you could have one hub right here you know, where you go, you grab your location, you find your artist, you find this, you find that, and you're done, you know? Um, so that's what Location Unlocked is. I want to ask you about one last thing before I do my famous last two questions. One thing that okay. a lot of women are struggling with, and I talked about it with one of my, um, I call her my sister friend, filmmaker girlfriend, mm-hmm. just in my tribe, mm-hmm. about uh, women applying to just different programs and you actually mm-hmm. were a semifinalist in Sundance for the YouTube uh, lab. So yeah, I wanted to ask you, number one, like not who, yes. What made you say, okay, I'm going to apply for this? Because a lot of women get intimidated with applying to those type of programs. Yeah. Um, actually it was, I was working on a, um, I had just finished producing a film and mm-hmm. my editor told me about it. He was, you know, he was just like, I think you should do it. And, um, that was like sort of in the earlier part of my, uh, writing, uh, journey, my journey of, you, you know, just focusing and concentrating on writing primarily. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And honestly, sometimes I think in your, you know, when you just know too much about a program, I mean, of course, everybody yeah. knows the name Sundance, <laughs> right? But the, but the episodic lab was actually new. So I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll submit it. Um, and I submitted it. And at the time I had a writing partner and, and then we were asked to submit more. Um, because we were have have um, you know uh, been accepted in, as semifinalists, and I was I was totally shocked um, because I didn't expect any of it. I really did it with the interest of just putting my best foot forward, trying it. My friend said I should. I believe he believed in me, you know, mm-hmm. and so I just went for it um, and didn't overthink it. I just answered the questions <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. sometimes we just really overthink things and we overthink like, oh, what could this be, you know, if I got it? It's not right. time to think about that. It's really time to just answer the question, you know, why did you make this story? Right. Um, and, and so that's exactly what we did. And, and we went on to, you know, to the next round. And I was really proud of that. And I'm actually still developing that, that story. Um, we're going to start shooting that in early 2019. Um, so I didn't let it go. Huh? I said, that's exciting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's really exciting. But the, but the thing, I think there's two sides to think about it or to, in, in terms of perspective. And that is that those programs can also like really drain you. Mm. So you have to be very careful about constantly um, submitting. And so I felt like we had gotten to a point in our process with this particular piece where we were just constantly submitting, submitting. And the thing is, is that you get feedback from all these different people. And so somewhere in there, I feel like we lost uh, our voice. We lost Mm -hmm. the, the, the juice. Or what made it saucy, you know, because we're trying to acquiesce to comments made from this writer. And then you get um, uh, comments from another uh, another um, uh, contest. And that writer, 
you know, writes for a television show, that's great. He's giving you feedback, but that feedback is in total contradiction to the feedback you've gotten from the contest prior. So I think that it's really important for me. I set a deadline um, and I said, you know, I want to apply for the next, I think we apply over the course of three months for other programs. Um, always putting our best foot forward, never really overthinking it, pressing send, done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then I, I set that uh, as a goal because those programs are not free. It's not free to submit, right? So right. if you're just constantly submitting, 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 I mean, you have, you, eventually you end up with a budget for a film <laughs> or for some project, you know? So I just felt like I didn't want to constantly put my money um, on um, in that out in that way. I just wanted to make the work and show you what I can do, you know, um, and be able to tell the stories in the way I want to tell them. And I'm going to constantly be growing as a writer anyway. So hopefully, you know, as I continue in my journey, I'll continue to meet amazing, more amazing prolific writers who can give me feedback based on what they saw, based on what they read. But I can't, I I just, I'm not in a a space to constantly pay for those programs Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, And I think if you do, I think it should be like um, one or two, you know, decide on whatever number um just determine a a a a goal you know like i said like after three months like that's it i'm not paying no more fifty hundred dollars for entry for anything because as far as i'm concerned we could use that hundred dollars to pay for craft services right (laughs) to that's somebody's salary (laughs) on set for a day you know Right. right um so so um so yeah so set a deadline pick you know, pick the pick the programs that I guess I would say best represent where where you are right now. It's I think it's good to be a small uh, a big what how do you say a small fish in a big no a yes. big fish in a small pond right yeah yeah so programs that are great but people aren't really they're not Sundance so people aren't really paying attention but yeah five hundred dollars. Ooh. You know, or, Yeesh. you know, winning, like, a can- uh, opportunity to use a camera for your next production. I mean, like, that that's resources. It doesn't have to be Sundance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I think there's so many ways to approach it. But I definitely feel like I've met people who have just gotten lost in that process. And their work has like over the course of two years, three years has not been produced, not because they don't have the cash, but because they continue to put it in, in, um, in script competitions and they're looking for other people to love the script enough to invest in it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just think a, a, a proper balance is necessary. And I'm glad that you said that because I mean, that does make sense. It's like, you know, my, I do think it's good to put like, this is how much I'm willing to spend for the year or for six months and then just don't go yeah. over that because yeah, like you do need to also be invested in actually like getting your project done. So I think that's a very yeah. good way to look at it. Cause you can't like, I really believe that that is what happens to I me mean, happen to one of my friends. Like I really think that she got burnt out with, applying to like all of these different mm. fellowships so so much yeah in particular if you're not getting into them that, you know yeah. and the yeah. thing is is that a lot of these fellowships end up on like these 21 best lists and so what we don't realize is that whenever any kind of fellowship or festival even ends up on a list mm-hmm. everybody's reading that list you know mm-hmm. so um so now your chances, and I, I'm not trying to be pessimistic and say, like, I right. don't even try. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm just saying, like, be clear about your going back to the why, right. <laughs> you know? And for me, I even, you know, my friend suggested the Sundance YouTube Episodic Lab because he knew that we were interested in writing a series, a web series. And so this sort of was a perfect fit, and it was a new program. 
so um so that fit with our goals and that fit with you know where we were trying to go at the time so um i think all asking yourself all those questions are important and i think that you should throw in some of those bigger fellowships in there you know like isa and right is that is it isa or isa 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 you know and um made in new york and you know, all the Sundance and all of those, I think you should go for, you know, low hanging fruit too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, 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 but at the same time with, with it in mind that I'm not doing this forever, you know, um, because if you wrote it, you should, it should get produced. Yeah. If that's what you wrote it for, unless right. it was a creative piece. But I think if you wrote a film and you like your film, you should produce your film. <laughs> absolutely i mean i totally agree i think that's a good i like that's listen y'all better take that good advice and don't be out here like going produce your work produce your work and if you don't if you're not a producer because everybody's not right then find someone who believes in your story and will produce it absolutely i'm all yeah for that so let everyone know Wait, I was about to say what how we can keep up with you. Nope, let's rewind. Let everyone know okay. what you are watching right now and what are you reading right now. Okay. So not gonna believe this. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but right now I'm actually watching YouTube videos um with influencers. And or just j- people who have really engaging YouTube shows, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm watching those um, shows, like I think right now Will Smith is doing an amazing listen, job. Listen, um, listen. Yeah, I he, mean, I watched them. Yeah, no, he's amazing, and <laughs> and I was just like, Will, come on, like YouTube is, you know, go away, you know. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning so much watching his 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 channel, and I um recently watched um uh, episode where he talks about the moment that he realized how much power his words had and his mm. presence had. I have to watch and, that. Um, watch it, girl. He has a ama- It's I think it's, he calls it story time. Yeah, see, um, I catch it usually on his Instagram and then I always forget to go watch yeah. the full thing. So I'm going to have to go up there. Right. Okay. So, so see, I was living on YouTube for the purpose of looking at people's content and trying to glean like what people were doing and just different, just understanding like the different ways in which people are really navigating the platform. Because mm-hmm. I, like everyone else, I've just kind of gone to YouTube to get answers, you know, mm-hmm. to questions that I've had. And uh, recently, I've just gained an interest in wanting to really learn more about YouTube from a filmmaker's perspective mm-hmm. and from a perspective of creating short form content and being able to, like, you know, get to the heart of the matter in three minutes, <laughs> you know, or less. So, um, so yes, I was I'm watching Will Smith and, uh, and Tia Maori and um, um, Oh, it's a makeup girl. Um, and she's really funny. Her name's Jackie. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Jackie Ann. Does she have wear different? She's she's a she's a very brown skinned girl and she um used to be a vet uh um um in the military. Or she yeah, and then she wears when she okay. Yeah, has her hair in whole different styles like all the time. Yes. Yes. Yes, and she's very entertaining. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I've actually been watching them and taking notes about what makes their shows engaging and what makes those shows um, entertaining for me. And, um, yeah, so I've just been having a lot of fun watching YouTube. Um, so, yeah, so I know that was, like, totally no, no, no. a different answer. No, that was really good <laughs> um, because it really like is going into what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Cause like on Tuesdays I do this whole, like what was my aha moment as a filmmaker? 
So it's right in line with what I was talking about. And I'm going to give you credit because I'm going to reference Will Smith because. Yes, girl. I, watch the video. Yeah, I am. <laughs> now I'm going to be all sucked in. I'm, look, I'm going to be like messaging you like, girl, you got me over here sucked in. Please but, message um, me. Please watch it and message me because um, what I love, what they're doing, what he's doing in a really great way is he's telling a story in a really authentic way but it's still visually interesting and that's the part that I find so intriguing so yeah and it just really caught my eye as a storyteller as a filmmaker and I just I was like I have to watch all of the things so (laughs) and I really you know I, I really enjoy when people can like clearly differentiate themselves from someone else and I feel like those you know that people some people are just sort of do what everybody else is doing yeah but um but I I really gravitate to people who I feel are just really different and I can feel their vibe and I can you know their energy and yeah so YouTube is all the things for me right now (laughs) okay so now that's where I'm gonna be tonight so yep go there girl go (laughs) what are you reading (laughs) Okay, so I'm actually rereading um, Brendan Bouchard's um, High Performance Habits um, and Habits of High Performers. I think it, yeah, listen, it's orange. I open it, I read it. It's great. Um, <laughs> and um, and I love that book so much. For me, it's sort of um, a companion to Stephen Covey's uh seven habits of highly effective people mm-hmm. yeah um and so that book is really about you as a person and getting you you together and Brendan Bouchard is really good at the practical um aspects of looking at your life and sort of aligning those things properly and so um it's for us it's in us I mean my family my me and my husband it's not enough to just be like high achievers it's like you you want to be a high performer you know and you want to be able to do well in your family and do well at work and do well personally and so it's always you know trying to fine-tune that balance um but that book is so it's so good and it's so instrumental in sort of helping just sort of um get, helping you to really lock in and get focused about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I like that. So now I'm going to have to add that to my list. Listen, <laughs> tell you something. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I, girl, you said one book, so I'm just, I'm, yes. there, there it is. Yeah. That yeah one. You sent me one because I, I already have an addiction to books, so I'm not even going to do that. Me too. Um, 